really appreciate our elders and uh, what they, uh, how they, they're able to serve the church. Um, I am one of those along with uh, the elders, but uh, we're just grateful for their, their leadership here, and Brian is one of those as well. Um, we're going to be finishing up uh, 1 Corinthians today, uh, God willing, and it's been long, and it's been hard at times. Um, but uh, my hope is that it's been good uh, for you. I feel like it's been good uh, for me uh, to be teaching through it. And so I'm, I'm excited to be uh, wrapping up today. We're getting ready for another series. And I'm not going to tell you what it is yet, but, uh, but we'll, we'll, uh, we'll see about it. I'm going to keep you in suspense. So you have to come back and see what it's all about. So uh, we're, uh, we're here in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. We'll pick that up in a second. But first I want to say happy Mother's Day. Uh, to all of our moms. And when I say Happy Mother's Day to our moms, I mean for those of you uh, that have uh, lost children. Uh, I'm also talking about for those of you who, are, who have struggled with infertility. I know that today is a very difficult day for you, and so I, I want to recognize, uh, recognize where you're at today, uh, perhaps in your thought process. But uh, so uh, grateful for our mothers who are here today. I hope that you feel honored today. I hope that you know that you are worthy of honor and praise and uh, that we, uh, we want to lift you up and just say, um, we know that it's difficult. We know uh, that you go through a lot of stuff that uh, uh, my gender uh, does not necessarily see all the time and, and maybe you don't feel understood. And, and so we want to let you know that we, we do see that. Uh, we just don't communicate that very well sometimes. So <laughs> um, listen, we're going to be in... Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and we're going to pick it up in verse 5 um, here in just a second, but uh, the Apostle Paul is wrapping up the letter, and he has got just a few things to say, and I don't believe that he necessarily has one theme, but I do think that there's been a theme that's been going through the letter, and he's giving them some last-minute things, uh, just as, as far as like, oh, hey, you know, this guy, he might come, and we'll see about that, and oh, and by the way, this, you know, and so it, it, it really is kind of a, a goodbye greeting, but I think he does say some things uh, that can help us understand what they've struggled with, uh, what we also struggle with in some ways, and I, I think there is a theme that we can pick out of here and, uh, and understand what he's, he's saying to us. So he says in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 5, he says, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that uh, you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you uh, now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door of effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. And we'll stop there for right now. Interesting thing about what the Apostle Paul says right there is that he says there's a wide door for ministry uh, the reason why I'm not going to go and like spend time with my friends, the reason why I'm not going to just go and relax right now and go on vacation is because there's a wide door open for ministry, and yet there are many adversaries. And I, I don't know that uh, we often say those kinds of things, but uh, what we really should see here is this, is like, it, it's really difficult right now, and by the way, that's 
why I'm staying in the midst of things. It's really difficult, and people are really after me, and that's why I, I can see that I am going to stay and continue doing ministry here. And he, uh, he may be referring to uh, the difficulty that he had in Ephesus as a riot broke out when people uh, began to come to Jesus what they stopped doing is they stopped making idols. Some of them did. And they, it basically disrupted uh, their industry in that town uh, because they had this, this goddess, Artemis, in, uh, in Ephesus. And so, therefore, that's what people were all about, this goddess and, and this temple. And so there was all of this idol building. So people uh, finally came to this conclusion like uh, that Jehovah God is the real God and the true God. And so as a result, I'm putting away my idols. I'm throwing those away. I'm going to stop purchasing idols from these people who are providing them. And as a result, a whole industry goes away and these people are angry. And so what happens is they begin to riot. And so Paul may be referring to that in this setting. And so what we have to see from this is that uh, when adversity breaks out in regards to our faith, what is our response? When adversity comes because of what we believe, and let's just be honest, that there is a lot of adversity today uh, based on what we believe. There, there, there is rioting in the streets. Now, I'm not saying that that has anything to do with one political party or another, but I am saying this, that oftentimes if you bring up Christian values, values that we find in the scriptures, such as life, uh, we, we, we choose life. We don't want to see babies put to death. We want to bring them into our homes. We, we want to see sexuality used correctly in our society because uh, incorrectly used, uh, used sexuality tears down our society. When we walk outside of what God has for us and we fall in line with what we feel, that's what happens is that society begins to break down. And so Christianity can be this influence in our society and we can call to people and we can say to them, like, we, like you need to leave your idolatry. Because all sin is really rooted in idolatry. It's worshiping and serving a created thing rather than the creator. So all sin is rooted in idolatry. And as a result, when we come into the public square, when we come into our world and we say Jesus is the true king, he is uh, God of the universe, he is, he is the representation of God, he shows us who God is, and we should follow him and model our lives after him, what happens very frequently is that people begin to say, hey, I'm angry with you. I'm angry with you. And so what Paul knows is this, is that when adversity breaks out, not all the time, but many times, it is a result of things actually going well when it, goes to, when it comes to ministry. I, sometimes I get a little bit scared because uh, <laughs> for, like, for the last year, we've had very little conflict in our church. But I want you to know that that isn't an example of like things going really well. Sometimes that just means we're burying our sin. That means that there's just, there's not a lot of stuff that's on the surface. We're just not re really being real. At the same time, I've been very thankful for it because uh, 10 years ago when we started the church, uh, up until maybe about a year ago, there always is something. There's always something going on. There's, there's issues that, that I created that were my own fault. I said the wrong thing at the at the wrong time. There's issues of people's sin. Someone saying, I'm going to walk away from my, uh, my husband or my wife. 
There's, there's issues of all kinds of things. Like a, a community groups at times end up having somebody in there that stirs them up and creates this anger and creates this resentment and, and so forth. And so what we see from that is we see that people are really showing us where their idolatry is. I, I am showing where my idolatry is at times. As adversity breaks out, the same thing happens in your home when adversity is breaking out. When, you, when you're experiencing the financial pressure of life, when you're experiencing the pressure of marriage, when things get really difficult and you finally realize, oh, <laughs> uh, that's why they say for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, because life is getting hard. Life is getting difficult. It's why when I do a marriage ceremony, I always include that part in there because, not because it's necessarily out of the Bible, because it's not, but the concepts are. It's that marriage is for life. It's for the two of you to spend life together, and, but oftentimes when adversity breaks out, our world says, hey, walk away from that. So look at the differences between our world. Oh, okay, evidence of adversity means that's not what, what you should be doing, so you should go in another way. And that's not always the case. That's not always true. What adversity could be an open door to God doing amazing work and for you to be able to exercise uh, ministry in the lives of people around you. And so Paul is talking about adversity. Think about how incredible that is. I'm not going to come hang out with my friends right now because I, there's a lot of adversity, and as a result, there's incredibly effective work going on here. Verse 10 says this. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at, at ease among you. So he's saying, don't give him a hard time. All right, He's kind of a young guy. Um, he's, uh, he may not uh, be all that experienced in every uh, detail, uh, but I want, I want you to put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. So Paul is saying to these people, he's saying, uh, I, I'm staying here, I've sent Timothy to you, and as a result, what I want you to do is I want you to encourage this guy. I want you to encourage him. I want you to uh, help him. I want you to gather uh, around him and, and encourage him. And why is he saying that to them? Well, up until this point, uh, there has been pride and arrogance that is, that is riddled throughout the church in Corinth. And the pride and arrogance says, you know what, you guys who are teaching us or the people who are uh, prominent uh, as, in regards to ministry who are serving a lot, like they're not listening to them. And they're saying, you know, I'm just going to come up with my own set of rules. I'm going to come up with my own set of desires as far as what I think that we should be doing. And Paul is saying, no, listen, I've sent this guy to you. I want him to do ministry uh, among you. I want him to serve you. And I want you to be an encouragement encouragement to him. And let me just be honest with you. Like there are, there are definitely uh, times and, and, and frequently when people who are in ministry and people who are pastors like myself and other people, like we deserve some, some feedback and, and legitimate feedback. We deserve uh, to hear the truth. And oftentimes people are too fearful to tell us the truth. They're too fearful to say, hey, Matt, you offended me in this, in this way. Some of you right now are offended with somebody on staff or somebody, your community group leader or something like that, and you've just been too fearful. 
You've got a fear of man thing going on or, or, or something along those lines. And you're fearful to even bring those things up. But let me just tell you that you should be able to bring those things up. And you should. So we are open to criticism. But let me tell you, if we're open to criticism, we're also open to encouragement. We're also open to encouragement. Now, I feel very encouraged. So please don't leave and be like, Matt, really great sermon, right? That was incredible. I mean, you can if you want to, but like, I mean, like, I mean, that's not what we're saying. What we're saying is this, is that the people who serve you, and there's more of this that's going on here. The people who serve you are oftentimes the people that take the shots. And more than oftentimes, all the time, take the shots. They take the hits all the time. And people come and they say, you know what? You didn't whatever, fill in the blank. Or you did this. And what needs to come is you do need to be honest with the people who are serving you. And, and if you are serving, and there's many of you in this room who are in the same position that I am in many ways, as you are serving as community group leaders, as team leaders, as things along those lines. But you have to understand that you've got to be honest with the people around you. You need to be open to someone being honest with you. And as a result, we also want to say we want to be encouraging of these people. We want to encourage them. But so often what takes place is this, is that whatever's happened in your past, if you came from a place where you were, you were, you were upset, uh, something happened in your life, someone took advantage of you uh, at, at a church, or you at least feel that way, what happens is that we project that on the next place that we go. If something happened in your family or somebody in a position of authority took advantage of you, what you come into the church oftentimes with is this uh, projector that says, you're going to do the same thing that they did to me. And so people oftentimes, they find what they're looking for. They, it's a self, uh, uh, self-fulfilling prophecy so many times. And instead of being encouraging, they begin to come after those people who are, who are leading them. So let me, just, let me just admonish you in this. Like if you're a part of Outward Church, by the way, if you're visiting, man, we're just so glad that you're here. I'm talking to people who go here right now. But like if you're a part of the church, can we just make it a habit that we would be encouraging even in the midst of adversity? That we'd be people who are encouraging uh, the, the people who are serving us. It's, it's an incredible thing. I think Paul says that for a reason. We don't know exactly why he said that, but I think Paul says that for a reason. He says, man, this is something you guys are struggling with. He's saying, he's saying that to them, and I don't know to what degree we struggle with this, but I would just say I think it's important for us to understand it. Here we go, verse 12. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come. He will come when he has opportunity. So whatever that is, it's the ending of a letter. That's what's also kind of cool about this is that this looks like a legitimate letter. He's writing it to a group of people, and he says, oh, by the way, I know you wanted Apollos to come. He can't come right now, all right? He's, he's, he's going to come when he has time. Verse 13, very important. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now, Several just key phrases there. And it's also, let's point out the weirdness of this. He just said, uh, Apollos is going to come when he, when he can. Oh, and by the way, I want you to be watchful. I want you to stand firm. I want you to, to act like men and on and on. Now, I, the irony of talking about how, how we need to act like men on Mother's Day is not lost on me, right? That's, that's a little bit weird. It just happened uh, this way. But let me just explain something to you in regards uh, to the word that is used there. Some translations, including the one that we read from, the ESV, takes the word, um, I'm going to totally jack it up, 
and drizomai. All right, that's, that's the Greek word there, and drizomai. And they take that word and they say, it says, act like men. Well, it could be saying that, but it could also be saying this, and it is more likely that it is saying, I want you to act, I want you to conduct yourself in a courageous way. I want you to have courage in the midst of the, the adversity that you're dealing with or that is coming, that's going to be a part of inevitably your faith or in your marriage or in your church or in whatever. And so he's saying, I want you to have courage. But the first thing that he says right there is he says, I want you to be watchful. So he's, last thing that he's saying to a church, he's talking to a church that's in this city. It's a, it's a very, uh, you know, a great city that has a, a lot of things going on with it, very similar to ours in some ways. And so he's saying, I want you to be watchful. So he's not just talking to individuals, but he's talking to the church, and he's saying, I want you to look out for what's going on. I want you to be, to be careful. I want you to be uh, watching out for sin. One commentator says this, be on guard against the pressures, the enchantments, and habits of the society that we live in. Be on guard against these things. He, why would he say this type of thing? Well, it's because the church in Corinth kept taking things from the outside, such as idol worship. They kept taking things from, uh, from what's going on out there, and they're bringing it into their society. They're taking sexual immorality, and even of a kind that the people that are pagans don't even engage with, and so he's, they're taking that, and they're bringing that into the church. And what's happening is this, is that people are just kind of like, yeah, it's just part of life. That's just what we do. But he's saying, hey, you need to watch out. Watch out for your life. Watch out with what's going on uh, inside of your church. Our church is not immune to the sins of our world. In fact, we are from our world, and so we are not immune to those things. And so we have to be watching for those things. How do those things infiltrate uh, themselves into our church? How do we bring them in? How do we bring the sexual ethic, if you can call it that, from our world into our, our lives? How do we bring that in? Well, we do it in, in many different ways. We bring that sexual ethic in from the time that we're dating and on through our marriage. As we allow our world to speak into our lives through the television and movies and music and things of that nature that are coming into our life, and we allow it, excuse me, <coughs> we allow it to infiltrate our lives. We allow it to get into us. I have told you before that I... Um, so, sometimes I like to kind of keep up with, you know, what's happening on Top 40 Radio, what type of music is being uh, played and whatnot. And pretty soon I was, you know, this is a couple years ago, but I was, I was I'd like listen to the radio on the way home from work sometimes just to kind of unwind. And I, I found myself kind of like, oh, that, that thing's kind of catchy. But that's totally talking about adultery. Like, that's totally talking about, you know, having sex outside of marriage. That's totally talking about like going with my feelings. And I, and I thought, I, I always, I hate this stuff. I hate it. Because I'm like, I'm not susceptible to peer pressure. Like I'm going to listen to a song and go murder somebody or, you know, it's something crazy, start smoking weed or something like that. But like, no, I, I'm listening to this and I, and I begin to, I, I had this thought in my mind and I'm thinking back, man, I'm, I'm thinking back to when I was 21 and I'm driving in my truck. I don't know if you've ever seen my truck, but my truck was pretty cool back in 
98 when I bought it, something like that. I still have it. It's in my yard. Um, <laughs> I do mow around it, though. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, one of these days, we're going to get around it again, I promise. Uh, it's, it's incredible. So, uh, but, you know, it's, it's lifted. It looks very manly. It's got a six-inch lift. And, I, and I'm thinking back to when I was 21, and I had this, I had this truck, and I'm driving home from work, and I'm, you know, I've got the radio on, and it's talking about girls, and it's talking about this, that. And I start, I'm, I'm envisioning myself, and I had this, like, momentary thought of, like, I wish I was back there. And I was like, that's such trash. That's such trash that my, my mind just went there. Like, and I had to turn the radio off because I was sitting there going, man, there, there's something that's getting into my life that for a moment caused this discontent with my life and, and, and my wife and my kids for, for this moment. And I was thinking to myself, like, dude, I'm not letting that into my life. This is not going to be programmed into me. This is not going to be a part of who I am. What did I have to do? I had to be watchful over my life. It's just a very practical thing. What are the things that you're letting into your life on a regular basis? What types of sexual immorality do you allow yourself to ingest? What types of sexual immorality are you allowing yourself to take part in? What types of whatever it is are you engaging in, and what are the influences on your life? The Apostle Paul says, you've got to be watchful. But then he says this. He says, stand firm in the faith. Stand firm in the faith. And one of the passages that I love the most is Ephesians chapter 6 in verse 10 where the Apostle Paul says this to the church in Ephesus. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of, of righteousness. I mean, there's, there's more there. I, I love that statement. After you've done all to stand, stand therefore. Like, I, I can't take this anymore. Stand. I, I, I can't... I, but I can't deal with this marriage. Stand. Act like a man. I can't deal with the stuff that's coming, that's going on in, in, in my life. Man, what, what's going on inside of you? Paul tells us that this standing firm in the midst of adversity is, is rooted in who God is. This standing firm, this taking on courage, saying, I'm, I'm, I'm going to walk through this. Our, our world says, oh, uh, courage is, is doing whatever you want to do. Well, guess what? Everybody is doing that. That's not courage. That is, that is, that's the last definition of courage that there is. There, there, it, it does not even belong in the same sentence. That is not courage. Courage is saying, I don't care what all y'all are doing. I'm doing something else. 
That's what real courage is. I've been reading this book called uh, The Heart and the Fist uh, by a guy by the name of Eric Greitens. He's actually the governor of Missouri, I think, now. But great book. Uh, lots of swearing, so if you read it, you'll know that I read swearing, and, and I guess you'll have to deal with that. So, um, uh, <laughs> But uh, towards the end of the book, that's where it's, where it's at. So... Um, <laughs> uh, so Eric Greitens is a guy, he was a humanitarian who, you know, traveled all over the world, like visiting, you know, various um, places that are dealing with lots of um, war, and he was uh, serving people and things of that nature. And then he finally got to a point where he's like, you know, I, I want to do more than that. I want to go help people. I want to actually be able to do something. And so he uh, joins the Navy SEALs. And so he's, he's uh, about to go through Hell Week. And so he is uh, sitting there, and one of his commanders, uh, whom he says has a philosophical streak in his life, says this. I mean, it's, it's pretty amazing. He says, each one of you is like an earthen vessel, a beautiful piece of pottery, prettied up by your fathers and mothers and teachers with tender, loving care. And a few days, hell week is going to begin, and we're going to take every one of you out onto the grinder and we're going to smash you on the ground, break you open, and we're going to see what's inside each one of you. With many of you, we'll find nothing. There's just air. You are empty men without substance. For others, when you break, we're going to have to turn away from the smell because you live in a weak culture that has allowed you to get by on charm and pretty talk and backslapping, and you have practiced dishing manure for so long that it almost seeps out of your every pore, and now... That is what you are. For others, when we smash you, we'll find inside a sword made of pure Damascus steel, and you are going to become Navy SEALs. Wow. That's, that's rough, right? I think what he, what he says there is it's pretty serious, you know? I think it is a commentary on our world I think the gospel is the answer to this. I wouldn't necessarily reach his same conclusions. Oh, like you're full of nothing or what have you because the gospel says something else. But I will say this, that the Apostle Paul tells us that we are to be watchful, to stand firm. And what we don't necessarily see, what we don't necessarily understand is that hell week is what we're in. That, like, you may have just gotten married, and you think that the honeymoon just began, and the rest of us who've been married for a while are laughing, right? And we're saying, like, you, are, you, you just entered into the grinder. You just entered into some of life's most difficult times for some of you, not for everyone, but you you're, are, are for the first time having to figure out, like, how do I get along with this person whom I'm with all the time? Like, uh, there are irritating things about our, our life, not about me and my wife, but about, about your life, right? Um, no, no, I'm sure she's very irritated with me uh, very frequently, so we'll just put it on me. Uh, there are things that are going to happen within the context of our marriage. We walk out into life and we think that, okay, now, now that I'm walking with Jesus, 
Or now that I've attended church, like adversity is going to be far from me because I'm doing what God wants me to. But what you don't understand is that adversity is the evidence oftentimes of God's effective work beginning to take place. I, I love my job because I get to meet with people, um, and, and I don't love the fact that they're going through difficulty, but I get to meet with people in the midst of some of their most difficult moments. It's, it's right after horrible things have taken place. And what I know is this, is that finally something has taken place where they are at this point where they have to say, man, what is life all about and what do I really believe? And we begin to see, like you're going through the grinder. You're going through difficulty in life. You're going through disaster right now and we are going to see what is inside of you. And the reality is, is that what's inside of all of us is really just hot air and maybe some manure. And a lot of us think that we've got this Damascus steel sword inside of us. I've got, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay. But you know, God is gracious when he allows you to see that you're somebody that doesn't have it all together. God is gracious when you get to see in your life that you are really very weak on the inside. That you and I, on our own, are not able to take on adversity by ourselves. The only thing that happens when we go through adversity and we say, oh yeah, I, I did this, I, I've done it, is that now we become more self-confident in ourselves. And as a result, what happens is this, is that I need Jesus less, not more. Instead of really visiting the reality of what's, what I'm actually made of, what I'm actually made of is seen in the difficulty of hell week. What I'm actually made of is seen in the difficulty of my marriage. What, I, what, I'm, what is actually inside of me is seen inside of uh, the, the difficulty of the things that I'm going through. Those are actually showing me what's there. In order for you to be watchful and to stand firm in the faith, you have to recognize what's happening in our minds, what's happening in our church, what's happening in our lives. What's taking place is this, is that I am being shown for who I am. Life falls apart, and we begin to enter into substance abuse. Life... Uh, Life doesn't necessarily go the way that we want it to, or it is going the way that we want it to, and we get arrogant and prideful and we have an affair. We enter into pornography, or we uh, enter into uh, discarding our family for the sake of a job. You know what we just found out? You just went through the grinder. You just went through Hell Week, and what we saw was this, that's what's in there. But here's the thing that you can take comfort in. It's not, it's not just in you. It's not just you. It's not just you in the midst of your sin, in the midst of your stuff. It's me in the midst of my stuff. The only way to come to Jesus is to find out that, like, I'm not the one with the sword. 
I'm either hot air or I'm something smelly. And the thing is, is that Jesus is the only one that was smashed. And what came out on the other side was a, a, a sword of Damascus steel. Jesus is the only one who made that. And the beauty of the gospel is this, is that when Jesus goes to the cross, think about the adversity that Jesus had to go through. He, he came into the world knowing that, that this was going to be hell week. And it was more than a week. Jesus came into the world knowing that he was going to enter into such difficulty in life that he was going to be brutally murdered, and yet he walks through it. The Christian message isn't, isn't that, you know what, you need to try harder so that when you're smashed open that you have this. No, the Christian message is this, that Jesus was smashed and the reality of him was shown through. And what he offers you when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, and not just saying the words, but an actual ongoing belief, keep on believing. As you go on believing the gospel of Jesus Christ, what comes out of you is this, that Jesus gives to you his steel sword. And he takes your hot air, and he takes your clay pot and he takes your brokenness as his own and he exemplifies the greatest courage that ever was to not just come with the possibility of dying as a Navy SEAL does on every trip but to go with the assurance that he would die to not just walk into this with an understanding that there, that there may be some discomfort but to, but to know that there would be excruciating pain so Jesus is the most courageous of all. Jesus is the one who gets smashed in my place and he gives me his goodness and his grace and his mercy as a result. So let's talk about this for a second. Some of you moms today are like, Man, I, I don't know how that speaks to me as somebody who's a mom to be courageous, but you got to understand, like, you have one of the most courageous jobs, and it's ongoing. It's just every minute of every day of, of what you're dealing with, with kids and life and all the pressures of home and everything that's happening. And it doesn't mean that some of you don't work. That's even more difficult, Right? But you're, you're going through so many different things that cause fear. What, what are those fears rooted in? Am I doing enough for my kids? How, am I responding in anger too much to them? Am I treating them correctly? Am I forgetting something that's going to cause them to, you know, have great difficulty or die? What's someone else doing? I mean, they're doing it better than me. They're, 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 they're a better mom in all, of, in all of these ways. And do you know what that is? That's, that's fear. It's being driven by fear. It's being driven by this incredible fear that when the adversity comes, I'm going to be smashed and there's nothing there. But what you must understand is this is that as a believer in Jesus Christ, as somebody who hopes in him, 
Your hope is not found in your ability to be a great parent. And by the way, you're going to make mistakes. There's no doubt about it. But your hope does not come in your ability to be perfect, to be a perfect mom. Your hope does not come in your ability to be a perfect parent or to be a perfect caretaker or to be uh, whatever. Your, uh, your wholeness comes in the fact that Jesus was broken apart for you. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. What's the faith? What I just told you in 1 Corinthians 15, I want to remind you what is the most important thing, that Jesus Christ went to the cross. It's the most important thing as a mom. It's the most important thing in your life. Jesus went to the cross in my place to pay for all of the mistakes that I have made and that I will make. And by the way, he sits in complete approval of me. And my courage is not driven by this desire to be so great. My courage is driven by Jesus' courage. That's what drives my life. Ladies, that's a gospel understanding of being a mom. What's the courage for a single, single woman? Sometimes it's waiting. The fear is I'll never have fill in the blank. The courage comes from the fact that I don't need that to be whole because Jesus gave me his wholeness. There's courage for our men, because it really does speak to men. In fact, the beginning of that word, andrizomai, the first part of it is, is, is from the word aner, which is, it, it really is saying man. The whole word together means to act in a courageous way, but men, how would you act like men? Let's, let's first talk about what it means to not act like a man. Um, when you can get a woman pregnant and then walk away because it's too hard, that's fear. You've been smashed open. You've been shown for what you are. You can get all the benefits and all the pleasures of fooling around, but you don't take the responsibility. That's fear. That's not acting like a man. The courage that comes from not engaging in substance abuse to deaden the pain of what you don't have or the things that you're involved with or the way that your job is going or the, the stress that happens when you walk in the door because it's stressful. I have four kids. The fear comes from saying, uh, there's, there's a woman in a burning house. She's my woman. And she is my children. And I'm going to walk in. I'm going to take courage. And I am going to walk with her. I'm going to protect her. I'm going to love her regardless of what takes place. The courage that it takes uh, to, to be a man cannot be rooted in your abilities, though. It cannot be rooted in your ability to be a man or to be manly. The courage that it takes to be a man must come from who Jesus Christ is and what he's done. And as you walk through the life of Jesus Christ, and you should be doing this, not just like 
you know, thoughtlessly reading scripture or something like that, but reading through it and just understanding this is what Jesus did so that I could have relationship with the Father and so that I could walk with him in my life. It's not just fire insurance. In fact, I'd say this, that like if you got, if you got saved and, and that's fire insurance for you, you need to be watchful because I don't know that that really does equal that. If you can somehow say that, yeah, I'm saved, but then still walk in these ways with, without repentance, like, I, that, that doesn't compute to me. It doesn't, one does not go with the other. So do you have faith in Jesus Christ? Are you walking with him? Do you see his life? And you see how he walked to the cross, bloody, bruised, broken, whipped, spit upon, punched. It was the, it was the craziest hell week that ever was. And he, he is more brave than any Navy SEAL that we could read about. And Jesus is not just our model, but he's our advocate, and he is our savior, and he is the one who did walk that road for us. And what he does is he says, I want you to act like a man because I acted like a man for you. I, I want you to act in a way that says that I follow this man, Jesus Christ. Like, I, this is what I'm about. I'm firm in the faith. I'm not just firm in morality. Morality, by the way, is taught by many religions. You can go get morality from virtually any church, any cult, whatever. Their version of morality, their teaching. We are not teaching Morality for morality's sake. We're teaching Jesus, the life of Jesus Christ. And, and are you going to walk in courage because of Jesus' courage for you? Or are you going to continue to walk in weakness? And let's just be honest here, men. Many of us are walking in weakness. All of us, to some degree or another, are screwed up. All of us have that stench. All of us have that stuff. I don't need Jesus once. I need Jesus every hour as our motivation. He says, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. This church had a major problem with not doing things in love. And he points out uh, some other things here. Let's briefly just wrap up. He says, Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these, and to every fellow worker and laborer. What's going on? People are walking in sin, and instead of listening to this, this guy, the, the household of Stephanus, and that family that's been walking with Jesus for a long time, instead of doing that, instead of, like, when Stephanus came and called them out on their sin and said, hey, guys, we should not be letting a guy who is uh, uh, living with 
his stepmom or whoever she was be a part of the church. Like, we need to remove that. We've, we need to talk to him, and we need to remove him from the church. And they say, yeah, whatever. And Paul is saying, like, these guys have been walking with Jesus for a long time, and you don't hear them? You don't hear them? So when someone comes to you, how many times have I, I, I just, I'm in the middle of a conversation, and I say, hey, like, you, you can't do that. Like, that, that's not even acceptable outside of the church. Like, you should not be walking in these ways. <clears throat> and the guy says, you know, whatever. Or the girl says, you know, who, who are you to tell me? This is what I think. And every time, I just want to stop and just say, okay, who do you listen to? And you know what it is? Nobody. Their God is their stomach. They want to claim that, oh, yeah, I, you know, I, I, I'm a believer. But, but they don't submit to the scriptures. They don't submit to people in their lives. Because the, the truth is, like, not everybody submits to me or is subject to me. I want to encourage people toward, uh, toward Jesus. Sometimes they don't want to listen to me. They don't like me. They don't like what I wear, whatever. And I say, okay, fine, let's talk about somebody that you will listen to. Because you're blowing up your family. Because you're blowing up your life. Who do you listen to? Paul says, be subject to these people who've been walking with Jesus. They're the first converts there. Like, walk with them. Stop acting like you know it all and start walking with people that walk with Jesus. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and for, uh, uh, Fortunus and Achaicus because they have made up for your absence, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. Why does Paul keep saying that? They've been giving recognition to everyone who's rich or who has means or what have you. They've been, they've been tolerant of all the people that they should not have been tolerant of, and they've been intolerant of everybody that they should have been tolerant of. And they just have it backwards. And Paul says, stop going after the people with money and saying, hey, why don't you sit at the front of the church? Right? Why don't you preach for us? You make a lot of money. And he says, no, listen, give recognition to these guys because they're walking with Jesus. You may be a successful businessman, but we don't put you on the elder board because you're successful, because your life may be jacked up. You may not be walking with Jesus. You don't know the gospel from a hole in the ground. You think it's morality that we, we don't put you on the elder board because this is not favoritism. We give recognition to people that deserve recognition as believers in Jesus Christ. Who do you give recognition to in your life? What's your, what's your Bible? It may not be the real Bible. Where are, you getting, where, where are you getting your stream of thought? Is your God your stomach? The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and uh, Prisca, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Who knows what was going on before? Like, you guys need to be, like, greeting each other. Like, this, this turns into this club, this popularity uh, contest. And he's talking about Aquila and, and Priscilla, and here, here again, or Prisca here, Paul calls her Prisca, uh, Luke calls her Priscilla in Acts. These people are mentioned five times 
in the New Testament. So he's talked about the, the, uh, the household of Stephanus, and now he's talking about Aquila and, and Prisca, or Aquila and Priscilla. And these are people who are involved in ministry. These are people who are involved in serving people. They've given up so many things. They've been serving alongside of, uh, of the Apostle Paul. We have people like this in our church who have given their lives. They, perhaps they don't make very much money, and yet they give beyond their means. These are people who are walking with Jesus, and they open up their home, and they're generous. And they're always talking to people about Jesus. And they're supportive of the work. And they come in and they say, they don't say, I need a position of authority. They come in and say, How, what needs to be served? Instead of saying, I'm going to do something awesome on Sunday, like they say, I'm going to go during the week and I'm going to go serve at the school where no one is. These are the kinds of people that are walking and they're serving and they're encouragement for the ministers of the gospel. And they themselves are also ministers of the gospel. In fact, Aquila and Priscilla are responsible for Apollos and his walk with Jesus. They walk in on him in Acts. They walk in on him teaching about God. And they're like, ah, you kind of got half of it, but you don't have the other half. So let's correct this. And so Apollos starts walking with Jesus in the way that he should. These people are amazing. Is it your goal to become one of those people? Not so that you have recognition, but so that you're somebody who, that this can be said of you, that you are somebody who is helpful to what God is doing, not just at the church, but in his city. These are people that go and they serve with church plants. They go and, and they go to a church plant and they say, all right, there's only 30 people here. And it's pretty hard, but you know what? I'm going to deal with the adversity of that, and I'm going to serve here, and I'm going to try to help create this group of people that's going to be ministers. And lastly, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our, our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all. In Christ Jesus, amen. That's one way to end a letter, right? If you don't love Jesus, let him be accursed. I think he's saying this. That people who are not loving Jesus, they're just kind of walking on the periphery and they, they're acting like they are believers. They're a part of your church. You need to understand that they are really under a curse. What they really need to be focusing on is their love for the Lord God through Jesus Christ. That's where we want to get them. Without that love for God, they are in a cursed position. Do you and I care? Maybe you're here this morning and you have not been sure where you are. I want to, I want to be honest with you. If you do not have love for Jesus Christ, the morality is not going to save you. Being a good person isn't going to save you. Staying with your family isn't going to save you. You may have done all the right things, but you are in a cursed position. Jesus Christ went to the cross. He went to the grinder. He went through hell week so that you could have what he has for you. Will you trust in that today and say, I'm going to trust in Jesus that he's the one, he's the only one that's done what's right for me. Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, we thank you for the realities that you've brought to us through uh, this book, 1 Corinthians, through your word. Lord, I pray that we would learn from those things. Lord, that we'd integrate the gospel into our lives. Lord, I want to pray for those that have walked in with fear and just dealing with adversity. And Lord, I pray that they would see that you went through it for us. And we thank you for that. And so, Lord, I pray that we'd walk with you in faith, that we'd walk with you in courage. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.